KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. We are going to talk, oh, right now with the newest starting pitching addition to the Texas Rangers. It is Nathan Uvalde. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, how how y'all doing? We're doing excellent. We have a lot of logistical questions about the press conference before we get into baseball, and I just want to warn you about (laughs) that so you're prepared. No worries. Our first logistical question, Chris Young wasn't wearing a tie. Do you wish he was a bit fancier for your press conference? (laughs) No, it doesn't matter to me at all. If If I didn't have to wear a suit, I wouldn't either. Thank you, Nathan. So, former major league pitcher here, never good enough for anybody to throw a press conference for me. Um, <laughs> why do they make guys wear suits and ties, and then they put a jersey and hat on you? Wouldn't it just be easier for you to wear a nice, like Rangers, like T-shirt, and then put the jersey on? You would think, but I mean, I understand the whole process of it. You know, you gotta you gotta dress the part to look the part. It's always awkward though, uh, trying to put on the jersey or pull it over. And I was like, I went with the uh, the good old pullover because I'm I'm definitely a sweater. So try to try to hide those as much as I can. If you, if you get the <laughs> chance, we'll send you the audio because we were carrying your press conference and then we had to fill while you were putting the jersey on. And I believe the joke we made was this is live coverage of him putting the jersey on right here on 105.3 The Fan. See, and I always feel like it takes a long time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with the pullover. And I only had the two buttons buttoned. I didn't have the lower ones buttoned. I was like, ah, now I still have to button them. <laughs> did you did you get a choice on which jersey you got to wear? Because the Rangers have lots of options. Did you say, I want the white one, or was that just given to you? No, that one was just given to me. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my, my imagination says that you would have rather just gone out there in full uniform and just been like, all right, let's start pitching right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would, I mean if we could start the season today, I'd be ready. I'm excited for it. All right, and we I promise we do have more baseball-specific questions about the upcoming season. Or do I, we? I, I mean, we, <laughs> we probably do, but a couple of years ago, I was talking with Shinsu Chu about this at spring training, and we got caught up in a discussion about no state income tax because people always <laughs> push that as like a selling point of people signing in the state of Texas. And so we every time we talk to an athlete about signing here, we ask, did you care about the fact that there's no state income tax in Texas? I know you are a Texan, but do you care about that at all? Um, I mean, again, with me being a Texan, I, for me, it's more the fact that it's close to home. But, I mean, I can't lie and say that it doesn't factor into everything. I mean, it, it, it obviously plays a big, big deal, big part into it. But for me, the main thing was just being close to home. I have all my family out um, in the Houston area. My wife and I were high school sweethearts and, um, I think our furthest relative from Houston is two hours away, so Houston will always be a home base for us. And for them to be able to have that opportunity to come out to more games and you know watch me pitch, it, it's going to mean a lot to me. Did you grow up a fan of Houston sports, like Oilers, Rockets, Astros, or was there any type of uh, love for the Cowboys or Mavericks or something like that? Yeah, you know, I feel like any any city I'm in, I feel like I try to make every every team – that home team, you know what I mean? So I did have the Ashes, the Oilers, the Rockets, but then my dad was a huge uh, Dan Marino's fan growing up, so I was always a fan of the Miami, Dolph- the Miami Dolphins with him. But anytime they came and played the Oilers, we were watching both those games, and honestly, I just enjoy the, um, the sports, you know, just watching it all. Why, why does the city of Alvin, Texas, produce great baseball players? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, for me, 
at, I mean, you were going to the local McDonald's, any restaurant you go to, you have Nolan Ryan everywhere. You got the Nolan Ryan Museum, you got the statues, He's, we got the Nolan Ryan School, um, or baseball field, I'm sorry, at uh, Alvin High School. So walking into the gates, they've got the plaques and um, all the accolades of everything that he's been able to achieve, and you're seeing all those stats every day you walk into the field. And I don't know, for a kid like me, getting to see that, it's like you're, 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 look, you're looking at the great, the greatest pitcher, you know, every day when you walk into the field and knowing, like, this is what you have to do to get anywhere close to that. And obviously I'm not anywhere close to it, but, you know, the work ethic is one of the main things that you hear about Nolan and um, his relentlessness when he's out there on the mound and he wants that ball and he wants to finish the game every time he, you know, he takes that ball. And um, for me, a lot of it is uh, is work ethic and going out there and going into the field every day and being supportive for your teammates, and it, it just means a lot for me. Was there ever a part of you that thought about switching sports when you were younger because it's very unlikely that you would ever become the greatest baseball pitcher ever from your high school? <laughs> no, I mean, I never I never really thought I'd have a chance at passing any of his stats. Um, and baseball is by far my best sport. And I enjoyed playing that one the most as well. Yesterday we had Derek Holland here, and I know he was with you for just a minute there in, in spring yeah. training um, last year. And you said you're ready to go right now and I know that things are a little bit different from let's say 10-15 years ago to today when you say you're ready to go right now like are you throwing 50 pitch bullpens or or like where are you at when it comes to early January and throwing off the mound um I am throwing bullpens um right around 30-35 pitches I try not to step on it too much I have a tendency of doing that too early so I've been trying to hold back a little bit and uh you know, I'm throwing a bullpen maybe once once a week, once every five to six days. So I'm not I'm not where I need to be fully for the season to start yet. But my arm feels great, and I'm just really trying to keep the good the good go uh, the good vibes rolling. If you had advice for let's say kids right now, I have 12 year old and 14 year old getting somewhat ready for baseball. They're playing basketball right now. When do you start throwing breaking balls? When do you start really letting it go if your first, let's say, real game isn't till March 1st, your spring training? And for most kids, they'll start playing baseball games in March in Texas. Yeah, um, honestly, I'm not a big fan of the kids throwing breaking balls at such a young age. I feel like it's very hard on your arm and very hard for you to get that repetition down. And um, I, for me in the past I think that's why I got hurt was trying to throw breaking pitches and doing it um you know not throwing it the right way not having the right break or the right action on it and I'm trying to create everything instead of you know letting it happen out front in front of me um for me a lot of the kids I think they need to play as many sports as possible and that'll keep you ready for when baseball starts and then it's just playing catch and the more catch you can play without throwing fastballs I mean I'm sorry without throwing sliders or breaking <laughs> balls things like that just stick with the fastballs. It's going to build your arm strength up for what you need. And to me, it's about location. Well, when you locate the ball, you'll be able to get out. When you were talking, that's true. That <laughs> is true. <laughs> when you were talking about, you know, maybe some injuries in the past is I was reading an article and it described your addition to the Rangers that you're joining a deep but risky rotation. Do you think that is a fair assessment of this Rangers rotation? I mean, I would, I, I, I would say, yeah, you can say that because uh, you look at the past and we have a lot of guys that have been injured. Um, but, again, I think you learn a lot from your injuries and you, most guys don't have the same injury twice. You know, or the reoccurring one, you learn ways to take care of your body and you learn 
you know, how weak you were in certain areas. And obviously, whenever you get hurt, you make those areas a lot stronger. And I think with the amount of guys that we have coming in, uh, I know firsthand it takes a lot of pressure off of you if you have a lot of starters in the rotation. It's not so much about the fact that you're worried about competing for a job. It's just knowing that you can pass the ball. You go out there, you worry about your day, and then you, you, know, you know the next guy behind you is going to be able to pick up the ball and do the same thing for you. And then it takes a lot of pressure off the bullpen, and in a way everybody stays fresh because there's a lot of the mental aspects that go into the game. And if you only have one or two starters going out there taking the ball for you that are able to – it puts more pressure on you to go six, seven, eight innings to take the load off the bullpen. And then it also um, – it gives the bullpen those days off as well. You know, if you have all those guys going out there being able to go deep into a game, everybody stays fresh. But if you hit that stretch where everybody's getting hurt or if they're getting taken out of the game in, you know, the second or third inning, now the bullpen has to cover a lot of innings, and it makes it a lot tougher for them. Anthony Evaldi joining us here on the KNC Masterpiece on 105.3 The Fan. The, the, there was a line that Chris Young said that you told him, and it was, I want to win championships. And yes. as lifelong Rangers fans, yes. we have not experienced that. We've been very, very close. And lately, they haven't been that great of a team. So I'm kind of curious, what was it that sold you? Was it Chris Young's pitch? What was it that made you think that they are building a championship caliber team? So, I mean, they went out and got Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager a few years ago, right? And they continue to add to it. You got Garcia out there in the outfield. You have, you know, low at first, um, four or five guys in the lineup who can produce 100 RBIs easily, in my eyes. Um, they stay healthy. They, To me, they play really good defense. I know when I would come over here and face the Rangers, it wasn't a lineup I enjoyed facing. You got, you got power at the top. You're, they're going to find ways to get on base. And then you got speed at the bottom of the lineup. And whenever you can put speed on the base paths, I think it creates havoc on the pitcher and makes them, um, you know, it's it's forcing them to make good pitches. And uh, it, it's tougher to do when you have runners on base and it leaves room for error. And that's when the top of the lineup capitalizes now, on that. Um, for me, sorry, for me with uh, CY, with him talking to me, it's like you, they have a lot of the technology. And for me, we didn't really have a lot of that. And we were a lot, we had to rely a lot on just the feel. And, you're, um, you know, you're doing dry work and things like that in between your starts to stay crisp and locked in. And I felt like I started getting, I started losing, you know, that good feeling. And I was really kind of searching for what I needed last year. And I think that's part of the reasons I had my struggles. And, you know, we have a lot of the technology in the sports science lab and things like that where it's able to really break down your mechanics and slow it down for you to see everything. And I'm a big mechanic guy. I'm a mechanical guy. I'm a big feel guy. So I think that's going to help me out a, a lot for this year um, coming up. And, again, we got a lot of young talent. Like you all said, we've been losing. And a lot of the times you get you get first-round draft picks and things like that from it. But I think we're at the point now where we're going to make that turn. And you got a lot of the young guys who are ready to make an impact on the big in the big leagues um, this year. And we got a lot of veteran guys that are joining the rotation and the team as well. So I think a lot of that experience that we're going to be bringing in from outside teams, it's, again, I think the starting pitching is the key to success. And um, it, it just inspires everybody else. And it shows them that we're here to compete and win championships. Nathan Avaldi, Texas Rangers pitcher, joining us right now. Now, there's a lot of things that are going to change in 2023. I want to know from your perspective mm-hmm. without kind of watching you pitch every fifth day, is the pitch clock going to affect you more or is only being able to pick to bases twice going to affect you more um if i had to choose the two i would say the picking but again i don't feel like i've been picking as much and i think also too with the pitch calm usage it it really helps speed the game up so i think that 
you know, even though we are being forced to, you know, throw the ball quicker, I think that um, that the pitch comp is going to help out with that just because you won't have to shake as much and as fast. You know, it's like you just push the buttons. And a lot of the times with batters, you shake one one time, two times, they step out of the box, and you got to go through the process again. And, it you know, it, it disrupts your timing and things like that. But um, I've always been a believer that if you can work quick on the mound, you have the advantage over a hitter because they have less time to think and react. And especially if they get a bad call from the umpire, you know, you get frustrated with the bad call, you got to get back in the box, and now you're forced to be ready to swing and you don't have time to, you know, really think about what the next pitch is going to be. You know, it's interesting because Tampa Bay was told take as much time as possible because if you take over 20 seconds in between pitches, it will give you more energy each pitch. I love pitching quick. I never could throw hard, but I love the pitching quick. I actually love the pitch clock coming in. I was just wondering if you were ever told by any pitching coach or anybody, take more time in between pitches because it's going to give you more velocity or more energy each pitch. No, I, I had never heard that about the, the 20 seconds um, for more energy and things like that. But again, that's why I think that's your work ethic. And, you know, you put in that time in between each start to be able to go out there and work quick and to be fishing out there for 100 pitches. Now, Nathan, as Mike said earlier, Derek Holland does join us like every Wednesday. He comes yep. and hangs out with us, and he he's been. You want to invite him too? Yeah, you can, you're always yeah. welcome to come, come hang on out up. on Wednesdays too. Uh, the, but he's a he's a good friend uh, to the show, and and he was talking. You know, he had a small time with you, but he said he could tell that you were a good presence in the clubhouse. And Kevin and I, and I know Mike's seen lots of clubhouses, but we've seen chess games, crossword puzzles. Uh, NCAA brackets. We even saw Brad Miller was bringing bamboo in there last year. What are you bringing to the clubhouse to kind of help Ooh, things yeah. elevate? Hey, yeah, that, that's a tough one. Uh, definitely the work <laughs> ethic. That's probably my go-to. I'm almost never in my locker. I'm always somewhere else. I always feel like there's somewhere else I can be, whether it's out on the field watching bullpens or in the weight room or I don't know, a, a video room. I'm almost never in, in my locker until it's like right up to the game time. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to be bringing. So if we want to, if we want to find, I need to, you I need during, to work on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we want to find you during spring training, we have to look elsewhere other than the clubhouse. Is what you're saying? Correct. Okay. All right. Got it. <laughs> now, speaking of spring training, the last thing I was really curious about are are you part of the World Baseball Classic team as well? And how do the logistics of that work? Yeah. So they reached out, and I mean that's one of the things I've always wanted to do in my yeah. career. And they reached out and. You know, there was no hesitation to say yes. Um, I'm not really sure exactly when everything starts. I think we report out there February 13th. But, um, you know, uh, from what I've been told, it's essentially would be built up one inning more than where we normally would be at that point okay. of the of spring training. You know, and they want to – obviously, they, they're looking after our safety and then the club's, you know, respects as well. So um, I'm just, on, you know, honored – for the first part to be able to be able to put on the you know USA jersey and hopefully you know bring home the gold well bring home the championship yeah we're looking forward to that lineup we're looking forward to that but we would even more prefer a championship here in Arlington like if you can <laughs> yeah, yeah. only pick one, one. <laughs> yeah well yeah, I mean if I can only pick one I gotta you know I gotta go with the Rangers good you know, answer selfishly. I mean Excellent, excellent answers right there. Love we it, appreciate you jumping on and appreciate you signing with the Rangers. We're all looking forward to it. Thank you very much, good sir. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you all for having me. Boom. There you go. Nathan Evaldi right here Dude. on 105.3 The Fan. All right, so 
out of at least the last two, because it was G-Bag that had DeGrom, right? Yeah, out of at least Heaney and Ivaldi, they've been fantastic interviews. Like, that's, yes. that was awesome. Yes. And Christian Wood. And Christian Wood, dude. Actually, I think I'm the, the common denominator there is just us. So <laughs> okay. let's just go ahead and throw that out there. I like that. We're good at interviewing. We're the KNC Masterpiece. That's true. Right here on 105 Through the Fan. Coming up next, we jump into the lunch rush in the expressway. Mm. We will get to Mike Likes It. Plus, what? we will. What would you like to see in Sunday's Cowboys game that would make you feel better for the playoffs? All of it next right here on The Fan. First down, it's a play fake, a boot to the left, wide open. Dalton Schultz on the left side, walks into the end zone. Touchdown, Cowboys, and a tremendous windmill spike for Dalton Schultz. KNC Masterpiece back here on 105 through the fan. We got Mike Likes it coming up in just a little bit. But before we get to that, what would you like to see in Sunday's Cowboys game that would make you feel better in the playoffs? A home run. A home run. What? That would be awesome. Hold on. Have you ever seen a home run before? Yes. In a major league football game? No. No. My first ever Cowboys favorite player was Herschel Walker. It would be awesome if Herschel Walker got a carry in this game. That would be kind of wild. Like, that dude, he played a long time He told us a few years ago that he could still carry the ball five times a game. Five That's why why he was in a runoff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Stop it. Joey, I don't know if you're listening to our conversation <laughs> off air. Thank you very I like, much. You I like joking. <laughs> all all right. right. So. Lots of people texting in on this, by the way. All right. About Herschel? No. no. About oh. what they want to see. <laughs> From the 972, a 40 to 10 victory. But even then, I feel like it's how the victory comes about that people make note of is because when you won 54 to 19, wasn't everyone like, yeah, but the game was still really close until the fourth quarter. So I think it would have to be like you jump out to a 14, uh, you jump out to a 14 nothing lead or 14 to 3, and you just keep piling it on from there. For the 972, just a win. I, I'm okay with that as well, but it could potentially feed into the narrative that the Cowboys are not playing their best football going into the playoffs. I know Steven yeah. said differently and Jerry says differently, but I don't think you can argue the Cowboys are playing their best right now. I, I guess I have this. Uh, it's another question based off of your question. I hate when people do that to me, but I'm going to actually do, do it like to you. You do like to do that, though. I do. Is I just I guess I'll be scoreboard watching so much. Watching the Philadelphia score, I really don't care about the San Francisco score. I know people. I just that one's an already give up for me. I just okay. feel like that's a blowout. I know that there's a possibility of a Philly blowout, but there's a 50-50 chance Gardner Minshew is quarterbacking again, and they are zero yeah. two. Even if they're playing the JV Giants, there's a chance that maybe that game is close. And if that game's close, it'll keep me interested in the Cowboy game. But literally, if it is twenty-one to zero at halftime in Philly, I don't even know if I'll watch the rest of the Cowboy game because it will mean absolutely nothing. I want to, I do want to ask Jerry about that because that also factors in what we've talked about a lot off air is do you think a second half strategy change could play out? Like let's use your scenario. It's 21 to nothing in the Philly game, 21 to three in the San Francisco game. Do you think the Cowboys look at that and they're like, all right, Cooper well, the San Rush, Francisco game you're wouldn't in. mean anything in that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I hear what you're saying. Sure. But, Do like, you. 
then do you change strategy and you're like, all right, Cooper Rush, time to I go. Think, I think if you're smart, you make a call as the general manager. I think McCarthy said it. At halftime and you say, hey, guys, there's nothing left to play for. Get Tyron Smith off the field. You know, there's really no reason to play Dak Prescott the rest of this game and have him take a hit, especially if we're going to start making sure our offensive linemen don't get hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I think McCarthy even made that like, hey, we we know how to keep track of what's going on. We'll, okay, we'll keep good. an eye on what's going on out there. And Kevin, like, that's kind of for me. I mean, where they beat the Eagles, but they won't, scored 51 in the last game last year oh, uh, yeah, of the yeah, season. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out, is anything going to make me feel better about the playoffs in this game? Because again, they scored 51 points on that team last year. And it was like, all right, look, this is great. Let's go have some fun against. And then I think Mike, the next maybe Tuesday we were like oh crap San Francisco is the one opponent we really didn't want to play against and then it turned out that way so I guess I I want to see them being able and capable of running the ball early because they've been very poor at it of late like running the ball on first and second down stinks can I that's one thing can I piggyback on that because I I had the same thing but the or I put on there was or the ability to do something different if it isn't working like, I get it that sometimes it takes a second for the run to work. But if it's on first and second down where you continue to struggle, I would love to see the, whether you think it's Dak, the play callers, whoever, pivot off of that. And they're like, hey, I know this was our strategy. It just ain't going anywhere. Like, they're stacking the box. We need to come up with a different first or second down strategy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, and I agree with you. It's just tough. I'm looking at the Cowboys' schedule and their last kind of six games. And you did beat the Giants, who are a playoff team. That's a good win. Yeah. I, you might not have loved everything about that game, but that's a good win. You win 28-20, to 20 and you handled that game pretty well. I thought that was a good game from the Dallas Cowboys. The Colts was a weird game that for three quarters it was competitive, and then you completely and totally destroyed Dilated them in the fourth. Them, yeah. The greatest fourth quarter maybe in NFL history. <laughs> if yep. you look at No, yeah, we had that conversation. You might be right. The Texans, you played the worst team in the NFL, and you should have lost that game. Luckily, the Texans gave you a chance in the end. Does it make you feel any better that immediately after that, they took the Chiefs to overtime? Not really. Okay. They're horrible. Um, The Jaguars have a good quarterback, and you lost. Yeah. The Eagles played a backup quarterback. The Titans played a backup quarterback, and you're about to play another backup quarterback. I think that's the tough thing about this finishing stretch of games. There's nothing... To your now, I'm going to answer your question. There's pretty much nothing that's going to make me feel like the Cowboys have it all going. Momentum is on there because the the Washington has nothing to play for. They're I've done this before. I've been on the Washington or Washington Nationals. Yes, I've been on teams where the season is over and you are fighting yourself to give it all you got when you're trying to pack up your apartment and your parents are asking you, hey, what day do you think you're getting home? You want to go out to dinner this day? Hey, these people want to see you. Your friends are calling you. You understand that's what's happening with the commanders now. Now that their season is officially over, mom and dad, brother, sister, wife, kids, cousins, friends, they're all planning on welcoming you back home. And so it's very tough to have complete and total concentration to throw out a good game in these situations. So that's who the Cowboys are playing. So because I know all these things as a former player, it's tough for me to put a lot of relevance in a team that is really planning on their vacation and seeing their family. I would add, I want to like to add something else too. 
the last time the Cowboys had double-digit penalties was Thanksgiving. Isn't it weird that the last two Thanksgiving games the Cowboys Sucked. have played what, yeah. 18 and 13 now? Yeah. Since then, it's been... They were in the giving. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, since Here's then, free yard. three, three, two, four, three. Like, Kevin, early in the season, you were saying, hey, I need this to come down. And, and it did. They have gotten a lot better at not not uh, committing so many penalties. I want to con- to see them say, hey, we're still a disciplined football team. We still have these things that we want to accomplish. See, and I think I would be okay with that, but I understand this text as well from the 2 and 4. I would love to see no boneheaded penalties. Because, like, you can have one penalty – and it can still be at a catastrophic time that you're like, well, we sure did screw that up. And then have five penalties and be like, nobody cares. But I, I'm with you. I like the trend for the penalties uh, and the direction it's going. And then, Mike, I think you're I think you're spot on. But I know the people who are h- hyped up for the Cowboys are going to say, hey, look, you went 13 and four, assuming you win. And you won seven of your last eight games. Right. But, like, if you look a little harder inside of that, there are some reasons for concern. And the number one reason that I see, the number one thing I see time and again on here is one game without a turnover from the 682, from the 817, no interceptions, from the 214, no picks, from the 940, Dak without a turnover. So, I. I hear what you're saying about motivation and everything like that, but that does seem to be the number one priority for Cowboys fans going into this game is do not turn the ball over. Can we go a game without a turnover? Because I know we had that amazing philosophical question or discussion with Jerry about like forced turnovers and fluky turnovers, and that's all fine and well. It can hurt you the same way regardless in the playoffs. Can they go what, a game without a turnover? What is y'all's enthusiasm for this game? If let's just say the I'm going back in time. Let's just say the Vikings game you're at a 10 out of 10. I'm I'm trying to sure. maybe get the last game where you're maybe a 10 out of a 10. Or I'm sure the Eagles game was probably based still a 10 out of a 10. No, yeah. no. Not based on the results. On Thursday, Friday, Saturday, what was your anticipation and excitement for that game? And I'll I'll put the Eagles even though Jalen Hurts was out. I'm sure the excitement was Maybe it had gone from a 10 to a 9 because we talked yeah. about how it had gone down because Jalen Hurts was out uh, and you just lost to the Jaguars, so it looked like almost an impossibility to catch them. I'm still, I think, at a 7 or an 8 okay. just because as as unlikely as it is, because I've seen the point spreads you know, for the other games, you could finish the day with a bye. You know, like, that is a thing that could theoretically happen. And again, I know we've said this a few times. You go back to the beginning of the season and say, hey, you'll go into the last week of the year with a shot at a bye. I'd be like, great. I, I will I will accept that. And so by the time we get to halftime, to your earlier point, I don't know. But going into it, I think it's like a seven or an eight. How are you at? This Sounds good to me. Seven or, eight. seven or eight. Sounds about right. I guess I'm at a five because I just think it's going to be another Titans game. I think it's going to look like a preseason football game, and I'm not going to put much relevance into it. I think the Cowboys are going to win by double digits. But there might be some sloppy they, moments. Yeah, there might and there some, might yeah. not be a double digit win because in the end, the fourth quarter, we might be playing Cooper Rush. And, yeah. and everybody yeah, might yeah, be yeah. off the field, and you're just like, who cares what the result is? The Cowboys have decided that they're not getting the one or two seed because of what the Eagles have done. And so I just am going into it going, hey, I'm going to watch and I'm going to have this interest in scoreboard watching the Eagles and seeing how important the Cowboys game is during this. But I just don't think the commanders are going to come out and put together a good game. I I just I see them kind of almost uh, like, hey, you want to walk over us? 
walk over yeah. us. We don't care. I do think that puts the first quarter as a big quarter for the Cowboys. If the Cowboys D around, and I'm not talking about their defense, I'm talking about their private parts. Th- this is how I felt about the Texans game. Yeah. It, then if you if you give the commanders somewhat of motivation at halftime, then maybe you do find yourself in a little bit of a closer game than I think. But if in the first quarter you go out and you show that you want this game because they don't, they're looking I think for a reason just lay to give over up and be like, "Hey, good. Let's just get on the bus, get on the plane, and let's go home." The football power index for ESPN says percentage to win the NFC East. Eagles 85%, Cowboys 15%. Does that uh, nothing for the Giants though? That is true. Does that feel about right? Are you thinking like there's a 15% chance of this, or do you think that number is too high? I might go 20%. I might be even oh. a little bit more. It's still not optimistic that there's an 80% chance that the Eagles win that game. And so that's where I'll go. I, I think the Cowboys, I'll say there's an, a 90% chance the Cowboys win their game. Okay. I'm Man, I mean, Minshew's running back out there. I feel, I feel like. I mean, that's what three straight limited practices yeah. for Jalen Hurts. Why? Like, I, here's the I guess the really cool thing about this: the Cowboys essentially have forced them, the Eagles, to feel like they might have to put him back out there. That's nice. Hey, like, have you noticed John DeSiriani hasn't been talking all the crap? <laughs> hey, guess what? Jalen Hurts can beat all your fat old people in <laughs> basketball right now. Yeah, guess what? He's still, he's not healing faster than Patrick Mahomes. He's not healing faster than Dak Prescott. If you want to compare him to somebody, jaundice man, compare him to other NFL players, other NFL quarterbacks, not the fat old people carry covering your team in a press conference. Yeah, like that's burn on the Philly media. Yeah. Right you know what there. he didn't say? That they could eat cheesesteaks faster than those fat old people in there because they might beat Jalen Hurts in that. Hey, who can drink more beer? <laughs> Probably the fat people in this room. You didn't compare him to that. The, but you uh, compared Corey, him to like, hey, athletically, I bet he's better than all you fat old people. I yeah, no crap. Definitely drink more beer faster than him for yeah, sure. See? The uh the you can't drink beer really fast. I I like that's the I really like that the Cowboys have put that kind of pressure on him to my my percentages. And Mike is, I think that is an optimistic number at 20%. 15's a really cool number, but yeah. like Mike, I know the line says one thing. I haven't seen Dave say that he's not starting his guys. Like it, and it, I haven't seen the Giants say that. They say they want to win. And honestly, like Dave's needs to find a lot of things out still about Daniel Jones anyway. Vegas, knows. like they they <laughs> they could very well go out there in a coin flip game and win it. And then like we're sitting here going, holy crap! So twenty percent is a very a very optimistic number in my mind, but. I love the fact that you're kind of in that, even in that window right now. Not surprisingly, a lot of this comes down to Dak and no turnovers like we've talked about. But the other thing that comes up and, again, speaks to your idea of the preseason game is no injuries. So the three yeah. the, the three primary things we see, if that can be allowed, is domination, no turnovers, and no injuries. I feel like no turnovers and no injuries would probably take precedent over domination, but having all three would be lovely. I really think this today, and I put it at 25% yesterday when you asked me, what do you really think the chances are the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl? And I'm still sticking at 25%. But being the five seed most likely should not be a 25% chance of making the Super Bowl because you're most likely playing three road games. But I really feel like you have a rookie quarterback 
on the best team. I think San Francisco is the best team, but you have to factor in quarterback, which maybe takes them down a little bit. Then you talk about the team that might be a really good team with the best quarterback has a really hurt quarterback. Yep. His right shoulder is jacked up and it ain't getting better in two weeks. And then you look at the other teams ahead of you and they're not as good as you. Tampa's not as good as you. Minnesota's not as good as you. Yeah. And so I look at the Cowboys and I go, as long as they don't have a major injury, and I know they're not playing great right now. I wish they were playing better. They're not. They've taken care of the schedule that they've had, and which when we get into Mavericks talk here in a second, it's very similar to the seven-game winning streak that they have. You've taken care of business. It might not be pretty, but the Cowboys have taken care of business for the most part. Is The Cowboys have no excuse not to win three games I in the playoffs you. this year. Kevin, I did bring up earlier what Schefter reported. Yeah. And Pro Football Talk is putting this out in one of their stories. No Bills-Bengals game. NFL figuring out what to do with AFC seeding. Neutral site for AFC championship is possible. And then the fourth one, expansion of playoff fields to eight teams in the NFC and AFC is possible. How would you guys feel about them? Just now? Yeah. Throwing one more team in the mix, and I'm not sure exactly the reason. I'm going to read a little more on this. That's not fair because Washington has now gotten to Thursday planning that they're done. I think this – That would change their playing Sam Howe and practice schedule and everything, so that wouldn't be fair, I I don't think. I also – I just looked at that. I think this might be a thing where sometimes Mike Florio just makes stuff up based on what he thinks. Yeah, he said one possibility would be to add an eighth team in the playoff field in the AFC – to eliminate the buy for the number one seed, uh, obviously with the you know like the situation of that of, seems like a terrible idea. But I think Mike Florio usually has terrible it, how ideas. How wild would it be though? Is it is it Detroit? Is it Green Bay? Who, who's that last team that gets in? And now we have this situation. Or Washington? Do they now switch their starting and then, quarterback? Yeah, and then there's uh, Ron Rivera going see. Everything, like y'all, okay. y'all were because if at me Seattle not were to lose and Washington <laughs> were to win, they would become. I guess they, yeah, I guess they would be eight, eight and one, and that would beat the eight and nine uh, Lions or the eight and nine. Assuming Packers. that game didn't end in a tie and right. Seattle lost, right? But oh, God bless you. You still you got to say God bless you while you're doing it, Kevin. Not while we're on air. That's tough. I think that's Florio making stuff up. But I will apologize to him if that is how it I don't, plays out. I don't out. Really care. It sounds fun to like, dis- like just to discuss more than anything else. And that, I think that's what he's doing there. Right now, oh. how about a little Mike likes it, which always makes me nervous. So I really like, uh, and I got to thank Derek. I don't care. I'm thinking him on the air. Derek Holland. Uh, he's invited me to the Mavericks oh, Celtics yeah. game tonight, and I'm super excited about that it is an early start so if you're a Mavs fan and you have tickets you probably know this but maybe you're like oh you might need to leave work uh 15 30 minutes early as it's a 6 30 tip because it's the first game on TNT which is really closer to 6 40 honestly because of the pregame stuff they do and sometimes going to those games they are super fun but there are longer timeouts you know it's more playoff timeouts than it is normal timeouts you're like hey how come the players are standing around and wanting to play and nothing's happening and it's because the tv is taking a 73 minute commercial right now you you brought up in the cross i believe it was the point spread on this one i think is three for boston yes are you surprised because you are concerned at least that history says this could end up being troublesome tonight uh yeah i think that boston is the best team in basketball I really do. Okay. Uh, and 
they had a stinker in Oklahoma City. They didn't come prepared to play. And it just shows in the NBA. It doesn't matter how good you are, and it doesn't matter the other team. If you just show up and the other team is willing to give it their all, you will get embarrassed because there's it's just not high school. It's not like I'm sure nothing against Duncanville and Cedar Hill. I know they recently played because I follow Duncanville basketball and they beat Cedar Hill by like 40 points. If Duncanville didn't come prepared to play, and I'm just assuming Cedar Hill's just an okay 6A basketball team. Duncanville would still win. They would just probably only win by like eight to ten points. Right. And you'd be like, you guys didn't even try, and you weren't even. Well, the talent level is so different from Duncanville's talent level to Cedar Hill's talent level. You can still just show up and not play well and still easily win the basketball game. Not in professional sports because there's just not as much difference of the talent level of the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Boston Celtics, even though one's going to finish in the top five in the NBA and the other's probably going to finish in the bottom 10 of the NBA. And so it just shows you got blown out. We talked to Christian Wood yesterday. Yep. He even mentioned he said he's pumped. that they're on alert too. The coaching staff has said, be on alert. They're going to come in really focused on their special, especially defense after giving up 150 points in regular 48 minutes, probably led by Poku. That was the uh, that was the most points ever scored by Oklahoma City in a game, yeah. by the way. I think it, it's the second it tied for second most ever that the Celtics have ever given up ow. in a regulation game. If you take out overtimes sure. and just a 48-minute game, uh, that was the second tied for second worst in their franchise history. Did you see yesterday Jason Kidd said that Josh Green had done some work? but no contact work yet, which would lead you to believe that he ain't particularly close to coming back. No, uh, but I follow, obviously, you you probably do too, on Twitter and and Instagram. They did put out a video of Josh Green shooting. It looked like normal. They're shooting corner three-pointers. So that was good news that he did have an arm sleeve on. So I'm assuming it's his shooting arm. Yeah. Uh, And he he was making three-pointers and shooting from that distance. So... I agree with you. I think that it's still at least a week away. That's, but at least there yeah. was a positive sign that he's shooting, you know, three point shots and and looking normal doing it. And you brought up how important this game was. ESPN has the Celtics as number one in their power rankings. Okay. Where would you put the Mavericks right now? Because of their win streak, I would probably put them ten. Okay, but I haven't. It's it's. I'm happy they're winning. It's. I'm happy the Cowboys are winning. But it hasn't been impressive or like, this is good-looking basketball. They've literally beat seven under 500 teams right. in a row. But they did what they had to do. They can't make the schedule. Exactly. Now the schedule says you have to play one of the best teams in the NBA at home on national television. If they look really good in this game and are able to win a game where they're underdogs at home, I think this will be like, well, maybe they have created something special with Christian Wood in the starting lineup. And maybe some guys are are filling roles, but... I could see a Robert Williams, Al Hortford combining for 40 rebounds tonight. ESPN, oh, me too. ESPN has the Mavs at nine. Okay. So the teams ahead of them, Pelicans at eight, 76ers at seven, the Cavs at six, the Bucks at five, the Grizzlies at four, the Nuggets, who've also been on a tear at three, and then the Nets, who just saw their winning streak broken last night at two, and the Celtics at one. I think that's probably about right. The Clippers and the Kings are right behind them. I don't know if people are paying attention to the Kings or not, but they have, especially by their standards, having a phenomenal season. I'm going to change my mic likes it to the Kings. Okay. And I don't want to talk too much about the Kings because people are probably like, I'd rather listen to you talk politics. But 
Let's talk Kings. about the Sacramento Kings point guard for a second, De'Aaron Fox. He is having an all-star season. Yep. Uh, I don't know if you would say he's having a better season, season than Jalen Brunson, but very comparable. Their records are yeah. comparable as a team. They're doing very comparable things and leading their teams to victories. And Brunson had a career high last night, right? Yeah. And look, uh, Julius Randle is having a borderline all-star season as a big guy. Uh, Sabonis is having a borderline all-star season as the big guy on the Sacramento Kings. But I think they're both being led by the guys with the ball in their hands the most. If there's no Eastern Conference and Western Conference all-star game, there hasn't been for three or four years, and there's not going to be this year. It's Team LeBron versus Team Giannis or Team Durant versus Team LeBron, whatever it is, right? It's just we pick captains. De'Aaron Fox might not make the all-star team. But yet Trey Young will, or yeah. Jalen Brunson will make the All-Star team. And I'm not trying to take a shot at Brunson. He deserves, if you're picking six guards from the Eastern Conference, he's one of the six. But let me just do this if everybody was healthy. The four best guards in the NBA, correct me if I'm wrong, in whatever order you want to put them, but I'll put them in my order right now. Luka Doncic. Yep. John Morant. Yep. Steph Curry. Yep. Devin Booker. Yeah. They're all in the Western Conference. Yeah. Yet two of them will not be considered starting players in the All-Star game. Now, because of injury, Curry and Booker might not play in the All-Star game. But so then I go a little bit further. I go to Shea Gilgis Alexander. Now, I'm not saying he's one of the five best, but Shea Gilgis Alexander makes five. What if I go to Anthony Edwards? What if I go to De'Aaron Fox? What if I go to uh, recently, and I don't think he's going to be an All-Star, but what Clay Thompson is doing? What if we just start looking at, well, who are the best guards in the NBA? I haven't even named Damian Lillard. So there, I got to six. If I just put Shea Gilgis-Alexander at five and I put Damian Lillard at six right now, I just hit six. I can't put Anthony Edwards on a team. I can't put uh, De'Aaron Fox on an all-star team. So you just start looking. I think the Pelicans are going to be more forward heavy with Zion. And I know he's hurt and probably won't play either, But or, or um, Ingram. But... I just look at it and I go, if we're not going to have Eastern Conference versus Western Conference, why don't we just vote on we have 10 players that the fans and the people vote for. We're going to have five guards and five bigs or five forwards, however you want to say it. And these guys are now picked between LeBron and Giannis as these are the 10 best players in the NBA today playing in this all-star game. Why Eastern Conference and Western Conference still 12 and 12? I think you make an interesting point. I was going to throw an Eastern Conference guard out there that I think could potentially shake things up a little bit. Donovan Mitchell. For sure. Uh, for how, sure. How, how you put him up there. But I have the just-released voting okay. thus far, oh, if you want. This is going to drive you insane. All right, the top of the Eastern Conference guards. Who do you think has the most votes for guard? I hope it's not Kyrie Irving after your your take. But is that right? It is Kyrie oh Irving. What's he ever done? What well, he's earth, done, I, lots of things. You took out that roller that you do to roll the grass. And mm-hmm. Is that how you think the Earth would get flat? Huh? Donovan Mitchell is or second. Hammer, like it is. Kyrie Irving has more than four hundred thousand more votes than Donovan Mitchell. But guess who's third? Trey Young. James Harden? Trey Young is five. It is James Harden. So it goes like this. Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Jalen Brown, Trey Young, which is still too high, 
DeMar DeRozan, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, Derrick Rose, and Darius Garland. So those are your top. Halliburton will make it as a reserve. But just when you just name that, and we just named, I know I'm sorry to stop you because you're going to get to those in a second. But when you name Luka, Ja, Booker, Curry, Shea Gidgels Alexander, Damian Lillard, Anthony Edwards, De'Aaron Fox, like it's, why are we doing this? Why are we doing Eastern Conference, Western Conference? To your point, Anthony Edwards is not even in the top 10 in Western guard voting, which is actually kind of surprising to me. Uh, the front co- the front court fits a little bit better for the Eastern Conference in terms of like what they're actually doing. Durant, Giannis, Embiid? Yep. Okay. And then Tatum. Did so, I, Oh, and I, gotta, and I think Tatum is possibly Probably MVP low, I, yeah. All of them have more than 2 million votes. The next one is Jimmy Butler at 477,000. So there is like a giant I bet the bigs are better than the bigs in the West. So if I just made the the guards are better in the Western Conference. Without a doubt, they're better. You can't even make an argument for the Eastern Conference. I'm surprised you didn't. Where was Jalen Brunson? Jalen Brunson on the guard list is not in the top 10. I can't believe that being in New York. I thought for sure he'd get a lot of votes being in New York. Nobody Uh, likes him up there. So so where is, do you have Luka? Yes. Okay. Do you think Luca is the top vote getter? I'm afraid it's going to be Curry. Cosine or no cosine, Corey? I hope I'm wrong. I hope it is Luca. But I'm going off of popularity, Screw Golden it. State. It's Luca. It's not. Luca is second. Steph Curry has 2.7 million votes. Luca has about 2.4 million. But then it's a giant drop off. John Morant's 900,000. So. Okay. And Shea is right behind him. Memphis is Memphis. A, is it small market? Is that like, or is this jaw just not on the same yeah, level? As you know those what two? else too? I know this I sounds weird. I, I do think China votes a lot here. Please, this is not political at all. So if you're gonna dump us because I make fu- funny jokes and you think they're the worst thing in the world, <sighs> then screw you. But keep listening. <laughs> jaw has what a confusing statement that was. Jaw hasn't released his shoe yet. They. Nike has now made his shoe. You can see him wearing. He's wearing his shoe, but they're not selling yet. So the millions of voters, and let's face it, China votes more for this than the United States does in in voting. This is one of the reasons that they always wanted to keep Tim Duncan on the power forward spot. They're like, we do not want him going up against Yao Ming and voting for All-Star. Keep him at a position where he's not going up against Yao Ming because China dominates the vote in All-Star voting in the NBA. Is I wonder that now Luca now Luke has been a little bit more popular longer and he has the international vote. I just wonder when it comes to voting and stuff like this, Curry has had his shoe out for a decade almost with Under Armour and Jaw needs to get his marketing out more. Western Conference front court, LeBron leads the way, has the most votes of anyone, I do believe, then Jokic, then Anthony Davis, then Zion, and then there's a pretty big drop off. We're the KNC Masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. Next, it's time for the C-Block starring Corey Majors. I have another significant update on DeMar Hamlin. Oh, great. Next. I hope.